Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, we have been in this series entitled, Greater Love. And we've been using that verse you just saw on the screen there as kind of the theme verse found in John, in John 15, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now in this moment, I don't think the disciples, when hearing this, fully understood what Jesus was meaning. I'm not sure in this moment if they fully understood the scope and what was about to take place. For Jesus in this moment was what? He was foreshadowing and he was kind of giving them a glimpse into what was about to happen. And so we've been realizing and and unpacking this verse of what does it actually mean? What does this greater love actually mean? And we've come to this conclusion that God's great love for us compelled him to do something. God's great love for us compelled him to do something, to make a way to rescue, to redeem, and to restore our broken relationship back to God. And we discussed that greater love not only makes a way, but continues to make a way back to God by tearing down the things that we build up in our lives. Last week we said that greater love, it, greater love is motivated by mission. That you and I were His mission. That Hebrews talks about the joy set before Him. He endured the cross. Well, what was His joy? You and I were His joy. You and I were what He envisioned. And that word endured means that He suffered patiently. What a, what a dramatic kind of you know, oxymoron of words. To suffer patiently. And for the joy set before Him, He suffered patiently. He endured for you and for I. And so today I kind of want to just take a moment to just kind of continue in this thought or continue in this series and kind of dive into Jesus' final interaction with humanity. What was the final conversation that he had with, with mankind that we can learn from and glean from and maybe see how it was the exclamation point to his mission here on earth? And we're going to jump into Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. And we're going to read it this way. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it and save yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then, Jesus said, then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I can imagine Jesus in that moment mustering as much strength as he could muster, turned to him and looked and said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, unlike Jesus who was completely innocent, these two men were rightfully convicted and sentenced. The Greek word here that they use for criminal refers to, generally refers to a thief, someone who forcibly takes from another, someone forcibly took from others. And it almost seems poetic, almost seems poetic, tragically poetic, that Jesus who came to give salvation and eternal life freely to all who would receive it is being crucified between two men who took forcibly from others. You see this, this dramatic picture between, or contrast between life and death, between, uh, between light and dark, between hope 
and despair. And I, I got thinking about that a little bit this week, and this, this revelation kind of came to my mind is that he died among those he came to save through his death. Like, he died, talk about humility. Talk about positioning yourself as a servant. He died among those he came to save through his death. It's just this beautiful picture of the character and the heart of God. See, in this interaction between Jesus and his, the two criminals, in many ways foreshadows the, the spectrum of how humanity would respond to Jesus moving forward, isn't it? How you and I would respond to Jesus. While most would reflect the heart or the attitude of the first criminal who scoffed and hurled insults at him, who mocked him, he mocked Jesus even in his dying breaths. Even in his dying breaths, he mocked Jesus. There was others, and Scripture even calls this the remnant of people, the small remnant, who would adopt the attitude of the second criminal, who would be remorseful, repentant, who would recognize our sinful, our human condition, and humbly, sincerely pray, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. And as we've been going, as I read through this scripture, and as I reveal, or as I kind of just allow myself to kind of sit in this moment or sit in this tension, I'm forced to ask the question that I'm going to present to you today is which one are you? Which one are you? If these two criminals kind of represent the human, the human experience or the human response to Jesus, the question we have to ask ourselves is which one are we? Are we the one who rebukes? Are we the one who demonstrates no need for God's grace even in our dying breaths? Or will, be, will we be the one who repents? Who recognizes what Jesus has done and to receive the greater love being offered? The choice is ours. And we see this all throughout history. You see, in this beautiful moment, Jesus exchanged the criminal's guilt for a peaceful, hopeful expectation that cannot be explained. He declared to this man, even as he hung there dying for his, dying for his crimes, that this was not the end of his story. And though he was deserving of death, he would receive God's unmerited favor and receives God's eternal, and receive eternal life with Christ, And it's in these final moments of Jesus' life that we catch another glimpse of greater love. And we see in, in the story that greater love welcomes the worst of us. Greater love welcomes even the worst of us. His love isn't reserved for a select few. His love isn't reserved for the self-righteous or those who look like they have it all together, the perceivably perfect, the ones who could quote Scripture, the ones who have no sin in their life, visible sin. No, no, no. His love is for all. God's love welcomes even me. Even me. God's love welcomes the worst of us. And because of God's great love, He didn't leave us bound in our sin and doomed to die. No, He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to give His life as a ransom for many. That in order to save us, that the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and He died to give us life, to save us life in the hope of eternity. And this one final act, this is the beautiful thing. Jesus didn't just say He loves us. Jesus didn't just say He loves you. He showed it. He showed it that there's nothing that can separate you and I from the love 
of Jesus, love of God, not even death. Not even death. And some call the events of this day the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace is an innocent man dies in the place of the guilty. In Luke 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, listen, I've come to seek and to save the lost. This is my mission, to seek and save the lost, to go and find those who need rescuing. This was his mission. You and I were his mission. We were the lost and needing of saving. And here's the thing. I know this rubs against our feelings and it rubs against our cultural messaging, right? I don't need saving. Look at all the stuff that I have. Look at my wealth. Look at my place. Look at my prestige. Look at my family. I don't, why do I need saving? We, it rubs against our culture that the truth is within us. That we have the ability to save ourselves. But Paul clearly tells us in Romans 3.23 that everyone has sinned. That we've all sinned. That we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And if we were honest, even for a moment, we would know it to be true. If we allowed ourselves to be honest with ourselves, because we're, li- we're, we're so good at lying to ourselves, aren't we? We're really good at lying to that man in the mirror and telling us what we want to hear but not telling us the truth. But if we allow ourselves to even think of it for a moment, we would know it to be true that we need saving, that we are broken inside, that something is not in alignment. And we need Jesus. So by extending grace to the unrighteous, like the criminal on the cross. He is, he is being scandalous. He, he, he's being scandalous. He is connecting with people and making a way for people for whom the religious leaders of that day looked over and judged them as unworthy or too filthy or not good enough. And here is Jesus communing and dining with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those so far from God because that was His mission. You and I were His mission. And if we, like the criminal, turn to Jesus and repent of our sin and receive His forgiveness, we too can be recipients of His scandalous grace. A grace that is undeserved and unmerited. And so there are many today, though, who, like the first criminal and like the religious leader, believe that they don't need grace. They don't need that sense of relationship, even to the point of death. We do not need that. But then there's others who feel that they're unworthy of His grace, that they would never be able to receive His grace. And I'm here to tell you that the ones who believe they're undeserving are true. We are all undeserving of God's grace. But they're incorrect when they believe that they're disqualified from His grace. See, here's the good news. Because Jesus humbled Himself and made Himself obedient to death, even death on the cross, we too are able to look forward to with the same hope-filled expectation and the same walking embrace that the thief on the cross received. I love this moment. This, this beautiful moment that recognizes that thief on the cross did nothing to deserve the gift that he was about to receive, but purely by the grace of God. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins and, and trusted Him with your salvation, today can be your day. It's the good news. You don't need a special day. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till you get it all figured out. You don't have to wait until you kind of get yourself in the right place and you make yourself better on the inside by your actions. No, you don't have to wait. This is your day. The thief had nothing else to do. 
just sitting there. This was the moment. Come face to face with Jesus. Today can be the day that you can look upon the face of the Savior and give your life to Him. Today can be that day. Today can be the day that you'll know with certainty that you'll be in paradise forever with the God who loves you unconditionally. And here's all you have to do. The, mo- the thief modeled the, the prayer. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. To come to that moment of awareness of our need for Him, and if maybe all we know how to say and all we know how to pray and all we even fully understand is our need for Him, we can just simply say, Jesus, remember me as the beginning stages of that new relationship with Christ. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There is an assurance in that. I love how Paul is saying, you don't have to jump through hoops. Right? There's not a list of things you need to do or don't. That stuff comes later as you grow in relationship. But the initial decision, the initial moment of salvation, the initial moment of repentance just comes when the, like the thief on the cross says, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Paul was talking to Timothy, his protege, in 1 Timothy, and he says, listen, this is a saying that is, is trustworthy. This is something that everyone should know and accept. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners, and then he goes on to say, which I am the worst of them all. Like, he's identifying. He said, listen, I'm not, asking, I'm not asking you to receive something that I had not already received. Like, he came into the world to save me. I needed saving. I was the worst of them all. What do we need saving from? The word save in this context just means to rescue, to deliver out of danger, to rescue from destruction or to bring to safety. But what do we need rescuing from? That's the great question, right? The short answer is death. The short answer is life away from God. You see, God didn't send His Son into the world to die for bad people. He came, He sent His Son into the world to die for dead people. People who were dead in their sin. We read that the the wages of sin or the consequences of sin is death. The consequences of living a life apart from God or away from God or not in relationship with God is death. The consequences of living for ourselves and our own ambition, our own purpose, our own drive, our 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 own nature is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through the cross. As I was reading this morning in my devotions, I was reminded about Isaiah 53 when it says, yet in our weakness, he, yet, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. Yet it was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But no, it was our, it was, it, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was, he was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own, and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. We're going to take a moment and receive communion. If you have your cup, I can encourage you to pick that up.
But every time we receive communion, we are invited to reflect upon and remember what Jesus did for us and how each one of us can freely receive his undeserved grace and unmerited favor in our lives every day. And so this morning, before we jump too far, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, before we receive communion, before we, we finish in our final song, I want to encourage us to all take a moment to bow our heads and to close our eyes. To take a moment to reflect and remember and maybe even receive from the Lord the gift that only He can give. And in doing so, whisper a prayer of repentance and a prayer of thanksgiving. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, He wasn't just thinking about humankind, though He was. He was thinking about you. He was envisioning you. He was weeping over you. You were the joy set before him that allowed him to patiently suffer and endure the cross. So let's take a moment to remember, to reflect before we take communion together. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, he, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's receive this together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Can we just thank Jesus this morning? Can we just, come on, let's let our voice be heard as we offer praise to Jesus, as we thank Jesus that he loved us so much, that he, for the joy set before him, he endured, he patiently suffered for you and me. Come on, let's, let's thank him for the forgiveness that we received, for the hope that is secured in Christ, that he defeated death, that he conquered sin, that he suffered for you and I. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you, Father, that you died for us, that we are forgiven through your blood. We are forgiven through your Son, through the relationship with your Son. God, we thank you for your grace that saw us as we were, but loved us too much to leave us the way we were. That every day you call us to, to shape to, to shape and shape us to be more like you, to, to reflect the values and the ways and the words of your Son. And so, God, help us to be gay. Help us every day. Help us as we lean in, as we receive and live out and reflect your amazing grace. And so, God, we give you our hearts today. And, God, as we sing, as we just offer this praise, as we just take a couple more minutes to reflect and stay in this space, God, may you speak to our hearts and may you solidify 
your spirit, may you solidify the message, may you solidify the hope in which we read, in which we received, in your precious name. Amen. Let's sing together.